0: Okay, are we ready? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for what you're going to do today. We thank you, Lord that as we come with expectant hearts, that you're going to do something in us, you're going to lay something upon us, it'll be by the power of your spirit. Father, I ask that each one of us would be granted that that real gift of faith, that spirit of faith, Lord, uh, for today. Father, That there would be faith on both sides, Lord, that as we speak out and as the people receive, Lord, that something would be ignited and that something would be established in the lives of the people here today through the laying on of hands and through the prophetic word. Father, I ask you to do a new thing. Let this be a, a historic, day in the life of Melbourne life. Let us look back on this in 10 years time and let us acknowledge that this was uh, the, the beginning of a marking on people's lives uh, that were able to move forward and do great things for your kingdom in Jesus name. Amen. Awesome. Well, it's fantastic to have you all here today and also family and friends who have come for the DMS graduation. Really, thank you for that. Uh, we, you know, uh, like I said earlier, We're going to be laying hands on people at the end of of the the preaching, and it's really exciting when you understand the principle of laying on of hands. I began last week speaking about the principles of it all uh, and what that looks like, and we're going to finish it off today, Um, but all of this happens in the context of the corporate anointing when we're gathered together as a group, as a church, as a people, the way that God has ordained it and orchestrated it is that it would happen together as people and through His order and through His structure. And so when we're gathered, things definitely begin to happen. And you know, when I look at the world, and I know this doesn't take a prophet to say this sort of stuff, but more than ever, the world needs to see the real church step up and be the real church. You know, it's interesting reading different articles uh, just to see that Christianity is declining so fast in many nations, not in all nations. Sometimes it's growing uh, hugely in in some of the um, nations that that won't allow Christianity. The underground church is, is growing profoundly. But in the nations where there's free speech, freedom of speech and democracy, it's actually declining at a rapid rate. But you know what? God knows everything and he knows how to make his church shine in darkness. In fact, it takes darkness for light to really be seen. It takes darkness for like to truly be uh, fully displayed. So I kind of feel like that the time is now that we're that we're poised and ready for something amazing for, for God to do. And I God knows how to prepare the world for an awakening of His presence. You know He stands back and you know it's, it's like I've said so many times before. We you know we just live in our now bubble. This is our here and now bubble, and we look at at history in the context of maybe a few hundred years behind and what's going to happen in the next hundred years. But God zooms right out. Out to the beginning of the beginnings. In fact, he is. There is no beginning with God, so he, you know, he's not limited by time. And so he looks at everything, and he looks at the the beginning of the world. There is a beginning of the world and the universe. But he looks at all of that, and he sees even on the earth that the comings and goings of huge kingdoms and empires, things that shook the world and and changed and shaped the nations. They've come and they've gone now and they've been replaced. People that were so famous and, you know, your Donald Trumps of, of the, those eras, the ones that were, that were stirring things up and, and, and doing horrible political things and all sorts of stuff. You had your political, you had your King John, Kim Jong-uns. And, oh, I better stop while I'm ahead, but, um, or while I'm behind, whichever way you look at it. But there were all sorts of, you know, good leaders, bad leaders, and good nations, bad nations, and yet they've come and they've gone. And so it's not a surprise that we are where we're at right now, and God knows how to maneuver. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the one who wrote the book of Revelation. He knows how it ends, and he knows how to position the world and everything in his in His timeline. And uh, you know, it, it's amazing. Even you know, the Bible says that the heart of kings are in His hands. So He, He, He knows when when people are coming up in power. When people say things like, "Well, God must have really put that that president in place or put that leader in place," well, yeah, He did. The real question you have to ask is why, and what for. Is it because they're going to be like the the second coming of Jesus, or is it because? they're gonna be used by God to shake the church up, to get on their knees and begin to really cry out and pray. And so, you know, even God's foolishness is greater than now man's wisdom. So we need to try and zoom out sometimes and look at things from God's perspective. But, you know, even like I, I look at the Old Testament prophets like Habakkuk, who was over, overcome by the agony and the angst of seeing Israel being overtaken by evil, and uh, to the people of God being overtaken by by evil. And, and God allowed this army to come up and absolutely slaughter the people to the point that even the prophet questioned what God was doing. But, you know, God knows what he's doing. Everything's for a reason. And uh, he said, you know, you just got to wait. It will surely come. Uh, you wouldn't believe even if you were told. And only God knows the beginning from the end. And even in that context, when he was saying it, there was a bad context to that. But see, God knows everything. He knows all why we're here we just play our part i often think of things like what what if we were born just to be one of the christians that was murdered by paul before he got saved i know that's a really morbid thought but hey that's bible and it's history what if that's the only reason we were born was to get saved display the power of god be part of this new exciting thing called the way and then only to be murdered by someone now you can look at that in any context. What if you were born just to be one of the families alive uh, with Israel in the 400 odd years when they were enslaved in Egypt? But you had to be born because someone had to live out the 400 and something years. So there was you were never gonna be part of the group that went in to even take the promised land, let alone be the ones that were in the wilderness, that died in the wilderness. You were never gonna see the parting of the Red Sea. You were never gonna see the great exciting things that were gonna happen but you just lived out your life as one of the slave families, but you kept the revelation of God alive and kept the thread of redemption going. Like What if if that's what we're doing here? See, it's not about us. We, We have this Western mindset that our lives have to be so abundant in prosperity and everything has to be perfect. What if you were the one murdered by Paul? You wouldn't turn around, your family wouldn't turn around and say, what happened? I thought if I just confessed it enough that I'd be okay. You see, we're so shallow. Our Christianity is so shallow. And God wants us to be true soldiers that can go deep and be people who stand on the word of God in a proper way. So, all of those people I just mentioned, all they did was just they just knew to run their race. You know, what if you were one of the young, three young youth boys that I prophesied over in Ambon? that God was going to use them in the mission field, and when they went out on the mission field, they were murdered because of their faith. They were macheted to death. What if you were one of those boys? Are you going to be at the last minute saying, why did that woman prophesy this over? Why? No. Like, they don't know the beginning from the end. None of us know the beginning from the end. We just have to run our race well. And, uh, you know, even though sometimes God's ways are mysterious, the the theme of Habakkuk says, the righteous shall live by faith. While you're awaiting salvation, while you're awaiting the end, the righteous shall live by faith. So if we will only live by faith, because that was the whole theme question of Habakkuk was, how can God use a wicked nation such as Babylon for his divine purpose? Well, it's like God says, well, just, you know, I know everything, so you just get on with your job And just keep praying, keep believing. But what's going to make you distinct amongst the nations? Remember, that was the whole principle of being the called out people, Israel, to make them distinct, to be the people of God. We are a chosen race, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. We're we're to be distinct. What is it? It's that we will live by faith. And we'll trust him regardless of what season we are in, regardless of what era we've been born into, regardless of what uh, is going on around us, we will live by faith and so that's what makes us distinct even now what is going to make the church arise and what is going to make her distinct is that in spite of the darkness that is encroaching around us i actually love it because i think god's saying hey i want to stir my church up a bit i want to see if they really do need me or if they're going to just go on with business as usual and start getting all legalistic and start condemning sinners for being sinners when they're actually meant to be sinners because they've got to be saved out of their sin so you know, is the church going to actually stop judging everyone and actually just start being the church? So the righteous will live by faith, regardless of the season. We're not in control of the reason. We don't know why everything. We're not going to know until we get with heaven to get to heaven. Even like Habakkuk, why God? You know, wh- wh- why? We're not in control. We are not Not always going to know the why behind the what. Yeah. We're also not in control of the season. We merely respond to our moment in history. And we do it all with all of our hearts. We do everything with all of our hearts. And he will give us everything that we need for the next phase of the building of the church because his temple is meant to house his presence and we are his temple. We've looked at all of that. So our generation is basically giving everything to this next generation to hand on this baton of truth, and that's all we need to do. You know, the Bible tells us that there's a whole cloud of witnesses um, that are surrounding us, that are watching, who have been participants in, the, in their thread of salvation, in their thread of redemption. They've been participants in the great story. In fact, if you read through Hebrews 11, they're heroes of the faith, but many of them never really saw the outcome of their faith. They died in faith, but they lived and they breathed in faith and they died in faith, never really seeing the outcome, which was Jesus for them. But we can apply that principle to us as well. So there they have been past participants in, our, in, in, uh, in, in this walk with God, in this journey with God. And when it talks about the cloud of witnesses, it's as if they are now in the stadium as spectators and you and I are in the arena. It's now our turn to play. It's now our turn to be participants in this, in this race. It's now our turn. They're the ones up there watching, and it's our turn now. We're in the arena. What is history going to say about us? And it's really amazing that the Bible will call them a cloud of witnesses because that word, once again, like in Acts 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses, it's actually martyrs. And it means totally dead to themselves, to their own needs. And it speaks about the character of these spectators. They weren't just people that, you know, happened to, you know, oh yeah, well I grew up in a Christian home, I grew up in a godly, I grew up in a home that sort of talked about God. No, it speaks about the character of, of the spectators that are now the cloud of witnesses. They were, are to be distinguished from the others who were pretty fickle in their desire to just be entertained in their relationship with God. And so they are well qualified to inspire us. Their stories are well qualified to inspire us. They bear witness of the faithfulness of God. You just have to read Hebrews 11. I don't know about you, but I just feel like sometimes I want to burst. I, if I'm listening to that in the car, I just scream and shout. It's like, yes, it's, it's, it's God. God who gives us that kind of faith. And they bear witness to the faithfulness of God in sustaining them. The historical knowledge about them encourages us as the current contestants in this race that you and I are running, in this current world arena. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are so great a cloud of witnesses, sorry, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us You know, sorry, but I'm just going to insert another scripture in here because every scripture then reminds me of another scripture because the Bible actually interprets itself. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So when it says we will run with endurance the race that is set before us, it's already there in front of you. It's already there in front of you. It's been... Created. It's been prepared beforehand. That's why you and I were created in Christ Jesus. And it's been prepared, it's set before us. So all we need, the key word there is endurance, guys. It's endurance. It takes guts to run this race and to get to the finishing line. And then it goes on to say in verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith. So he initiates our faith, he also develops it, and he perfects it. He finishes it. We just have to fix our eyes on him. That's why, hold on, if that's all you've got is him, that's all you need, because he'll do the rest. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then verse 3 says, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, okay? So when we feel the hostility coming against us as the people of God, as the Christians in the world, when the disdain that is being exhibited against the church now, and some of it is deserved. Do we get that? Absolutely. Like seriously, don't even get me started on the role of the church in America. I think I preached on that a while ago. I actually want to change the title of that sermon to America, if you're listening. But when we, when we see the role of, of church and, and, and a segment of church that is infiltrating and, and incorrectly representing the very heart of God, something has to shift and something has to shake. But when, so, and people in the world sometimes are wiser than people that have become so accustomed to their own way of thinking that they lose sight of what the Holy Spirit is actually trying to do. And they're more intent on promoting their doctrines and weaponizing their doctrines and their belief systems than they are remembering that this is about people. This is about leading people and having the heart of God. And so rightly so, sometimes the church, God will use the sinners to actually come against us, to come against the church, to sharpen who we are as people, yeah, to sharpen what we believe, to get rid of the muck and all the stuff we don't need, and find what we do need, and just represent what we actually need to be. And so he says, we we will endure hostility by sinners, that's good, that's a good thing, Hostility sharpens us. It bring, it's like going through the fire of God. Hostility takes you and I to develop our character through the fire of God. It brings us to that place of dependency on God. It's putting us like the, 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 the smelter. What do you call it? The silversmith. Is there such a word as a smelter? Did I just make that up? I probably made that up. Anyway, the silversmith When he's bubbling away with the silver and the gold, it's all the junk that comes to the top so that the real gold and the real silver will remain. And that's what happens when you and I, when we experience hostility, when we experience things that we go through in storms, it's so that we will become the church that shines brightly in the darkness. We we were never meant to be just blending in with the darkness, not at all. So he tells us, don't grow weary and don't lose heart. And so we have this massive body of people. That's why it's called a cloud of witnesses. And it's like they're surrounding us. They're encircling us and and enclosing us with testimonies and stories. And they're cheering us on with their demonstration and the the testimonies of what they did. They were witnesses for us. So, you know, they held on. They held on. They didn't grow weary. You know, Brahma and I have seen other people fall by the wayside in this race. We started off 40 years ago, and it's 40 years ago this year that we we became Christians. We've we've seen people that we actually started out with in ministry, other young couples, other young people our age that were so excited about God that would, you know, worship God just like we would, that loved the Word just like we did, or they looked like they did. They had the same look, but you know what? Over the race that we've run, we've watched some of them get now 30, 40 years later. They've tripped in their race over incorrect doctrine. They've stumbled in their race, in their marriages, and some of them have lost their marriages. Some of them have fainted from their race, just in pure despair. Some of them have lost sight of their goal, and they've barely made the finish line. And some of them have just dropped out altogether. It takes courage to run this race. And that's why the Word of God says, you know, don't grow weary and don't lose heart. You know, last week we talked about a, a scripture, and I won't read it again, but it's out of 1 Chronicles 22, and it talks about David knowing that God was telling him to hand over and, and, and prepare for his son to build the house of God. And he said, uh, so before, he, before his death, it says he, he charged him to build the house of God. And he says, I'm going to give you everything that's needed. I'm going to provide so much equipment and and materials, building materials. It's going to be so profound. There is no limit to what I'm going to give you. And then he charges him and he says, not only does he charge him with the building, and he knows that it says in verse 5 that he knows that he's young and inexperienced. But here's David. He's kind of like the cloud of witnesses or he's kind of like the older generation like Brahma and I. We know this next generation is young and experienced, but we're giving everything we've got to build into this next generation. And then he charges him and says, now arise and work, and may the Lord be with you. So today I want to give the same charge. Arise and work, and may the Lord be with you. May the Lord be with you. And then it says in verse 19, now set your heart. Set your heart. Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore. These are verbs, set your heart, arise, work, don't be lazy, it's a decision, it's a choice. Set your heart, set your soul to seek the Lord your God. Everything comes out of intimacy. This isn't about works, this isn't about doing, this is about seeking God with all your heart. And then it says, therefore go and build the sanctuary of the Lord so that you may bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is a picture of the presence of God. God needs a house so that the presence of God can come in. You know, we've, we've, we've watched the church worldwide become not a, not a sanctuary for the presence, but a sanctuary for entertainment, a sanctuary for watered-down, insipid worship that's, that goes by the name of worship, but does nothing to usher people in to the very presence of God that runs by by run sheets and time sheets and you've only got 20 minutes and after this song you have to finish just when the presence of God is coming in. We've got churches worldwide that are so um, sanitized and corrected and and uh, and what's the word, made redundant the very atmosphere that is meant to be being built by the people of God. We haven't given an open environment for prayer and worship in the Ark of the Covenant which is now The presence, his invisible presence of God here. That's what we need to be building. And so the charge to you guys this morning is arise and build and work. And may the Lord be with you because God wants to use this house. He wants to use his house in the world for his presence. And that's who we are. So we're poised for this next decade. You can go back and listen to last week, but I believe we are poised for the greatest Outpouring of God and the greatest awakening in the church. Other people get despondent. I get excited because I kind of think when everything else gets shattered and broken down and, and it's like something's coming in and destroying the church as the institution, somehow I suspect that that's God. I actually don't think that that's the enemy. I actually think that God is allowing a lot of stuff so that we'll go back to the simplicity of who Jesus is. And just be the church, and just be people that love God. So there is a commissioning, there is an uh, anointing that is going to re- that is going to be required for us to live that out. This isn't just about us saying, "Oh, well, pick me, choose me. I've got a great anointing. I'm I'm a great person." Well, that's great. We're all great people because we've been made in the image of God. But when it comes to actually just, uh, raising up the church, we need the commissioning of God, and we need the anointing for that. And so. It's amazing when you see, you see the parallels in that passage from 1 Chronicles. You know, we see that David was a generous father who provided the anointing that was needed specifically for that unique generation. Well, now we also have a heavenly father who knows the specific and uh, absolute unique anointings uh, that, that is needed for your generation. So last week, you know, we looked at the laying on of hands for the transference of power. We looked at the Old Testament, what that looked like. We realized out of Hebrews 6.1 that, that the laying on of hands actually is an elementary doctrine. It's a foundational doctrine. It's something that I would not say now in today's society that the laying on of hands is an elementary doctrine, that we all go, oh yeah, we, we don't talk like that. We don't, I don't believe the people of God have the faith for that, I think we need to resurrect the understanding of that so our faith is, is, is engaged with it. And that comes through knowing the Bible and through knowing the Word. We looked, of course, at different ways that the laying on of hands happened in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we looked at praying for the sick in the New Testament, impartation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, praying spiritual blessing. But today I want to conclude it just by giving the two points that, is, that we're gonna focus on right now. And that is number one is to give confirmation, guidance and ordination of ministries. And the second one is sending out of ministries from the body. So there's the, the, the confirmation and the, the, and the releasing of ministries, spiritual giftings for ministries, but then there's also the sending out of those ministries from the body. Because God needs laborers to work together to carry the burden, and that's always been the case. So he's the one who calls, anoints, and he commissions. Amen? If you look in Numbers 11, and I'll just give you the scriptures, but you can go back and read it because I won't take time now. Numbers 11, verses 10, right through to verse 17. There was basically a, a real problem as Moses was leading the, the people through the wilderness. and they were Moses was complaining and saying, You've given me all these people to lead. What am I going to do? And so in verse 16, it says, The Lord says to Moses, gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel. In other words, you do the choosing. I love how God partners with us as human beings. So he he acknowledges Moses as a leader and he says, you choose them. Like we're not puppets before God. So he says, you choose them. And he says, among whom you know to be elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down, this is what his part is, He says, I will come down and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit who is upon you. He says, I'll take the spirit that is upon you and I will put it upon them. Why? Not so they can go out and have wonderful ministries and make millions of dollars and have private jets and have their own websites and write books that make millions of dollars. No, it's be so that they will bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not bear it all alone. It's always has been and it always will be about his people and about people. That's all it ever is. All right, so let's conclude. Let's wrap this up and then we're going to start praying. So it's to confirm, establish, and give guidance of ministries. Hands are to be laid on in conjunction with Prophecy to establish believers and ministries. There will always be, well, there can always be an impartation of gifts and graces. You know, the mantle from uh, Elijah was passed on to Elisha. We'll look at that a little bit later. We see that it can be, uh, when it's given, though, it takes spiritual graces and gifts to be resident in the imparter. So whatever's in them can be given to that person. It can also happen through prophecy. And we see that in in, in Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.14, it says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of my hands, or the laying on of hands of the eldership. So it was a gift. This, This came separately to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit also opens us up to the gifts that the Holy Spirit has, the nine gifts of the Spirit. But this is different, this is something that needed laying on of hands for specific giftings to be given from the eldership to Timothy. Second Timothy 1.6 says this, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you, how? Through the laying on of my hands. Romans 1.11, Paul says here as well. See, this is threaded through Paul's writings. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established or that you may be strengthened. So whatever the gift is, its whole purpose was to strengthen their faith or to establish them in their faith. And that word gifts there actually means um, a spiritual endowment with a miraculous quality. So we're talking about something that definitely comes from God. So that's number one, to confirm, establish, and give guidance of ministries, to actually put a gift in someone so that they can start to operate, yeah? Second one is the sending out of ordained ministries from the body. And so this is like the confirmation or the ordination of ministries. This is more governmental. This is the commissioning into offices and ministries for leadership, and this just doesn't happen suddenly. In fact, it says in 1 Timothy 5, do not lay hands on anyone suddenly or hastily, nor share in others, other people's sins. Now, that doesn't mean don't lay hands on anyone suddenly, as in don't go and pray for the sick so that they may recover. No, the Bible says, go into all the world, make disciples, lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Remember I said last week, it all goes back to the intention of your heart, of what you're doing it for. If you read, and we don't have time now, but if you read in the context of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, it's talking about people being in leadership. In other words, don't lay hands and ordain them into a position of leadership too quickly. Do you remember when we, we announced to you that uh, Bernadette, Carvin, and, and Herman were going to become pastors and, they, and, uh, and, and that sort of thing? We laid hands on them and we prayed for them. Now, we didn't do that suddenly or hastily. We didn't grab... Carvin, the minute he walked in the doors of our church, we didn't do that. Bernadette's been in our church many years, same with Herman. So there's a testing that goes on, and God warns us and, and directs us and encourages us as good leadership to do that sort of thing. So when there's a sending out, when there's a releasing into a ministry, that has to be accepted by a team of people. And that's why I said the scripture that I read last week out of Acts 13 in verse 3 about Barnabas and Saul, it says, then having fasted and prayed and they laid hands on them, they sent them away. So that was in the commissioning and the releasing and the endorsing of their ministry. There was a transference of power. So we see these two things for the, for the impartation of gifts and we see then the releasing of the person as the gift into the work of service. All right? And these particular two things require spiritual gifts and prophecy for the setting in of of, uh, ministries. And so we see there are two responsibilities here. One is on the part of the minister, the person praying and laying hands, is to impart intentionally. I love that Paul said, I long to come to you because I want to lay my hands on you and give you something. That's not some sort of super spirit moment. Oh, well, you know, God didn't move when I was there with you and nothing happened. No, no, no. He says, I know, it's very, see, the kingdom of God is actually really practical. It's not this weird out there kind of thing. I just want to get there. I want to specifically lay my hands on you and I'm going to partner with God and I'm going to expect, just like we're doing today. We chose today We've asked you all to come prepared. Do I feel some special, you know, up there, angels singing, you know, wings on my back kind of anointing? No, of course I don't. I've actually had a hard week. I felt really nauseous all week. I felt like throwing up yesterday. I I felt, you know, I've been under the weather. But I've determined and I've chosen and I'm partnering with God and I long to impart spiritual gifts to you. And you know what? I've got the hands. I've brought my hands. I've got the oil. I've brought my husband. He's got his hands. So we're doing our bit. Hopefully you've brought your faith, because on your side of things, the Bible says you're to stir up the gift of God. So you're the ones that are supposed to be in faith, and then once something's given to you, you, bloomin' well, have to stir it up, guys. It's not my job. That was Christian swearing. Bloomin' well. (laughs) Got that from my father. Not my business what you do with your gift. Romans 12 talks about a sample of some of the gifts that we get and how we're to respond. Romans 12, verse 6 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. That sounds like it's your job, not mine. Okay, Hannah, that's your responsibility. Abby, that's your responsibility. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, then according to the proportion of his faith. If service, so this gives us a little bit of insight. We might think, oh, I want the gift to be an apostle. No, you might get the gift of service, guys. Who's put their hands up for that one? Then if you do, you do it in your serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. If he exhorts, see these are gifts. In his exhortation, he who gives, hey, if you've got a lot of money and you've got a gift of giving, the Bible says here, do it with liberality. Do not be stingy. I added to that scripture right there, but that's pretty much my my endorsement. But that's what liberality means. It's a gift. We think, oh, why why did God make them so rich? And I'm not well, because they've probably got a gift of giving. So you know what? That's that's actually a burden for them. It's as much a burden. The more money you have, the harder it is to give. Not that I would know, but I'm pretty sure. (laughs) It's like anything. Anything that we take for granted in our life, it's harder to activate. Like if you're called to serve, you know, you serve, but you do it willingly. You've got to acknowledge the giftings on your life. He who leads with diligence. People, everyone wants to be a leader until you become a leader and then you become a leader in our position to stay diligent, I tell you what, that tests everything in you. You're always tested on every level. And then it says, he with mercy. Why, why couldn't you just give me the gift of mercy, God, and not leadership? No, because it says you have to do it with that with cheerfulness. So, you know, every gift has its downfall, guys. <laughs> But it kind of gives a bit of a, an understanding of some of the gifts that can happen. So we see that, you know, from the receiving of a gift, you know, through impartation to the actual being sent out as a, as a gift into the body of Christ, there's a bit of a gradient or a, there's a line between the two dots, between the gifts imparted and declared to the setting in as a governmental minister. And the response is the in-between bit. Your response is the in-between bit. Your response to this, whether you're prepared to stir up what's given to you, you can't blame me. You can't blame your past pastors. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame the school you went to. You can't blame what gender you are, how short you are, how tall you are, what color eyes you have, what color skin you have. There is nothing that you and I can blame. We're responsible responsible for the in-between bit. That's why the setting in or the laying out of hands for ministry and for releasing is not done suddenly because it's gotta be tested and then acknowledged by many. And tested and acknowledged means, have they made it through? Have they run their race well? Can can we see them getting towards the end? Are, are 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 they letting the spirit of God do the work in their lives? All right? You know, we've had some significant moments. I remember literally 40 years ago in 1979, and Tantapur, this beautiful old woman, laid hands on me, and uh, she said, "You know, I don't do this. I don't do this all the time. I do this very rarely, but I can. I acknowledge, and I can see something in you now. I'd been saved five minutes, pretty much, and um, and uh, and yet this was a woman who moved powerfully in this apostolic." ministry and powerful healings and would lead entire villages and mosques and imams and everyone to the Lord and would see powerful things and she laid her hands on me and imparted her gifting to me and it wasn't until many years later that I began to understand what that would look like in my life Um, you know whenever we go to receive a prophetic word be hungry be hungry. Like even, even parents with your babies being dedicated, be hungry for God to speak and declare something over your, your children. You know, there's a story in 2 Kings 2, verse, from verse 9, where it talks about how Elisha hungered for the double anointing. He hungered. He, he, dem- he put a demand on the anointing of Elijah. And and uh, he received it. So there has to be faith on both sides. Moses was the same to Joshua. There has to be faith on both sides. You know, I remember in 1987 when I was pregnant with my gorgeous Michaela down there, and um, I remember uh, an apostolic couple coming through the movement that we were a part of back then, and he prophesied over me that I'd be a prophet to the nations, that my voice would be heard in nations. Now, you know, this is 1987. I was having my third baby. I was twenty. 27, 28 years old, I was a young woman. I certainly did not look like the material for a prophet to the nations, but, you know, God is, is faithful to his word. But I've had to provide the in-between bit, between the impartation and the setting in. Yes, it was released over me back then, but I've had to do the hard work and cooperate and partner with God. On the same day, he, they also prophesied over Brahm, and it was imparted by an apostolic leader. He said, you'll be a man amongst men. He was anointed to be a leader of leaders. Now, he was this quiet, reserved, young Indonesian man that, you know, was still struggling to learn and, and be bold and speak English. He's a softly spoken man. He didn't appear just like me to be a leader of leaders or a man amongst men. But there was that impartation upon him then. In fact, back then, he was ridiculed by the movement that we were in because they said, oh, you know, they're not ministry material. But you see what man thinks, and those people that said that have now fallen by the wayside, and I say that with devastation in my heart. Those people that said all that, that were building a form of what ministry should look like, they've been disgraced, and they've, 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 they've been let go out of their race, and they've brought shame to the name of God in some instances. But you know what? It's, it's not about us. It's not about being quiet and Indonesian and struggling with the English language. It's not about me being a loud woman, a female, in a male dominated area. It's got nothing, I don't need to stand up for my rights, and Brown doesn't need to stand up for his rights. We just have to fill in the gap and walk the distance between the impartation and the setting in. And that's our journey with God. And that's got nothing to do with anybody else. It's our responsibility before God. So it's up to us to receive and to walk it out. So we're going to pray for people. Um, last thing, how do we prepare ourselves to receive? So we're going to lay hands on on you guys today, on every single one of you. How do we prepare ourselves to receive? Well, Acts, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. What I see from that is faith has to be on both sides. Yeah? Faith has to be on both sides. It had to be on both sides of that handkerchief. When Paul laid his hands on it, he wasn't even there by the sands of it. Just the, the handkerchiefs that he laid hands on were taken, and the person receiving it said, oh, this is from Paul. Okay, put it on me. That's faith. Man, that's faith. That's weird, isn't it? But that's faith. So how do you prepare yourselves? You put a demand on the anointing. This isn't about me. This isn't about Brahm. This is about you and God. And um, so who's ready? Yeah, he's ready. I'm excited. I hope you've been praying. Thank you, Lord Jesus.